The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave your message. They'll return your call as soon as they can at 905-529-7165. And you can check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button and also... So listen to old archive shows uh, from the past. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little square this morning. <laughs> Good morning, Good morning Scott. Scott. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Andy. So every so often, you know, we start a show and, and you give me an idea to introduce you, but I have absolutely no idea what we're even talking about here. So, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of the Model T. This is something to do with car, a Series T. Is series this a new T? Tesla? <laughs> Uh, Tesla, yeah, I went from Model T to Model Tesla. Yeah. There's the two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, really. You know, you, you know what? This actually, ironically, Scott, I don't know what the T stands for. <laughs> Let's say it's Thompson. Oh, okay. Thompson, yeah, this is the Thompson. Well, I was going to strategy. I was thinking tax efficient. There you but, go. Um, uh, series T is when you think about your mutual fund investments. Um, almost everybody you sort of pulled apart your statement a little bit and you would notice that there's usually a little handle at the end of the name of your mutual fund. And it might be an A or a B or a C. And what these represent are the different series of that particular mutual fund. And those different series might have different pricing structures. They might have different uh, tax structures. And that's what series T is referring to. It's a version of your mutual fund. And the really neat thing is it literally can transform your mutual fund investment, which would normally provide sort of a limited um, or no regular income or distributions paying out to you. It can transform them into one that can deliver a predictable income, a predictable stream of income that's tax efficient and on a monthly basis. So Series T, again, the purpose is to create that predictable stream of tax-efficient monthly cash flow for an individual. And um, so, and interestingly enough, one of the features of your mutual funds and almost all mutual funds that offer a Series T is that you can switch between series without any tax implications. And that's going to be important because I'm going to run through an example of why that's a benefit uh, as part of our little section here. So when you think about somebody who wants to get some income from their mutual fund investment, the normal strategy, the normal recommendation is that you'd request that the mutual fund sell a portion of the investment each month, and we call that a systematic withdrawal plan. So basically, you would sell a certain number of units. If you wanted $500 a month, you would sell enough units of your mutual fund to produce that $500 per month. So typically each month, because unit prices fluctuate, sometimes you sell more units, sometimes you sell less units. Um, But one of the downsides to that, particularly if you're in a higher tax bracket, is that each time you sell those units, you're triggering capital gains. And so there's a tax implication to when you do this. So versus the Series T, and the Series T provides you with the majority of it, or almost all of it, 
a monthly cash flow, which includes what we call a return of capital. And the short form, you, you will see this from time to time if you're reading about it, ROC, the letters ROC, which stands for return of capital. And this is really kind of the secret sauce when it comes to creating an income stream for somebody and some flexibility around creating that income stream because return of capital cash flow is not considered a taxable event. And that's because it's part of your initial investment. So you already paid tax on that initial investment. And this is uh, in terms of investments that are non-registered. So these would be investments that are not you know, part of your RRSP or part of your RIF or even part of your TFSA. These would be your non-registered investments. So what it does, though, is that every month if you're receiving that sort of uh, piece of your initial investment, a return of capital, what it does is it reduces your ACB. And I'm throwing a lot of little acronyms out at you, but ACB stands for uh, Adjusted Cost Base. And Adjusted Cost Base is basically a little figure that is tracked for you on your behalf by your company that, uh, that tells you how much you put into the investment, and it helps you figure out what your capital gain would be. You'll, you'll see that uh, quite often. Uh, other names for adjusted cost base would be book value. So you'll see that on some statements. They'll show book value, and we get that question quite frequently. And, again, that's where you base your capital gains as off the book value. Thanks, Don. That's a good point. And so when you're using a Series T mutual fund and you're getting that regular income coming in, what you're doing is you're reducing your book cost or your ACB, and you can continue to do that for the life of that investment until such point as you've basically taken out all of your initial investment. And after you've taken out all of your initial investment every month, your ACB, your book cost, has now been reduced to zero. So in other words, none of the money in your account is what you put in initially. It's all been the growth on the investment. And so future withdrawals, future withdrawals from your account at that point are taxed as a capital gain. And capital gains, that's a bonus here, half of it is tax-free. So again, it's another way of creating a very, very tax-efficient cash flow for yourself. So let's just run through an example. And um, so this is a scenario where a couple who were uh, had uh, a couple of kids in university and they were hoping to generate a little bit of extra income while their son and daughter were at university. And uh, so if you had $100,000 in a non-registered investment, and maybe there's a capital gain on it already, you're concerned about cashing it in, you could switch that investment to a Series T, no tax implications to do that. And the Series T investments usually have a payout a schedule. How much can you get from this investment on a regular monthly basis? Let's assume it's 6%. So in this case, $500 a month. So the opportunity here would be you could switch your investment over to uh, a Series T, get $500 a month, and you have the flexibility to turn it on and off. So it's a tax-free income stream. And let's say you want that for the eight months while your students or your kids are at school. And then you want to turn it off in the summer. So you can switch it back to your regular series at that point and stop that monthly cash flow and then resume it back again in the fall. So lots of flexibility around that. Um, And just to give an idea of what that does in terms of tax purposes, let's say we had that $100,000 
and we put it in for, it was a five-year plan where we had it in a Series T, and it's giving you $500 a month, and let's say we weren't stopping it, and we just did that for the entire five years. Well, basically, your $100,000 investment at the end of five years, it's still worth $100,000, but you've taken $30,000 out of it over that time period, so now the adjusted cost base, what you put in, is $70,000. So now you have a capital gain of $30,000 if you sold that investment. So that's kind of how this works. But all the way along, you've received no taxable income, a tax-free stream of income. So, uh, again, the Series T, the income payouts, now they can range from about 4% per year up to 8% per year. And what that, the determination of that, it depends on the risk of the portfolio, the risk of that mutual fund that you own. So a low-risk mutual fund with more stability would produce that 4% kind of range. The higher-risk portfolio that might be a, a big, a strong emphasis on stock or equity could pay out as much as 8% annually as a return of capital tax-free. And it can also be either corporate class, just to add a few more words to this, uh, it could be corporate class, which and the benefit of that is it's super efficient. This is the super secret sauce where you get 100% return of capital and really no tax implications. Or it could be a regular mutual fund we call a unit trust, which you're getting a, re- a mix of interest dividends, capital gains, and return of capital each month. So who's this for? Well, somebody who wants steady cash flow, uh, you're looking for a tax-efficient cash flow, and or maybe you currently have investments that have a big unrealized capital gain. You know, you've had something that's growing, a mutual fund that's growing in value, and now you can switch that investment into a T-series without tax consequences. And that would be more, way more efficient than doing the regular sort of systematic withdrawal plan where you cash in units every month. You can customize your cash flow. And so the way we do that is we can divide your portfolio between Series T and non-Series T so that we can adjust up or down. And this is also big, a great benefit is that if you have old age security clawbacks, this is a really efficient way to reduce those old age security clawbacks. Uh, you know, less tax owing means that you're going to have more capital, more retirement capital. It's going to last longer as well. So and the final thing I want, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Don. So, yeah, one, one thing yeah, you did mention, though, is the idea of moving funds that were not in T into a T series. And I, just to, you know, if you could elaborate on that, because I don't know if a, you know, a lot of listeners would know what that's about. So, you need, you, if you have an existing fund, you can, and that fund offers a series T version of it, you can switch between those series without any tax implications. So and that's, that's, that's the, the key there. You're not triggering a capital gain. It simply allows you to move to that type of series, making it very tax efficient and doing exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. So these distributions that you get, you know, 4%, 5%, 6%, they are reviewed annually. And I know we're going to have a quick break here, but I want to talk about are they sustainable and what are the principles behind setting that rate of payout when we come back. We're talking about Series T, or T-Series. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you promptly. 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified... 
The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. We're going to talk about one year and three classic mistakes, but first, uh, Andy, you wanted to finish up with uh, Series T. Yeah, Series T, I just was mentioning how Series T, the distributions that you get, those payouts, as I say, they range from 4% for a conservative portfolio up to typically 8% for a more aggressive portfolio. And uh, so that's a pretty good payout. You think if someone, if I said to you, I can give you 8% per year uh, tax-free, that sounds pretty enticing. But those distributions of how much you get paid, is it's reviewed each year. So typically your payment won't change throughout the year unless there were some really extraordinary event. But typically your payment will stay the same throughout the year each month. And, uh, and, it's, and it's, the payout is based on the number of units or the number of shares that you own in that Series T. So this is one thing to be aware of. If you redeem some money out of your account, if you took you know, $10,000 out of your investment, you have now fewer shares, fewer units in your investment, so your series, monthly Series T payout would be reduced proportionately. Okay? So typically you kind of want to leave this little uh, number to continue and, and work through itself and not uh, take anything out of this piece of your retirement income stream. Uh, and of course, it electronically goes right into your bank account, which is great. But the payout principles, what, what's going on behind the scene is that there's three main factors. First thing they want is the price, uh, unit price sustainability. And what they mean by that is if you put 100000 in, the goal is five years from now, it's still worth 100000 You haven't lost anything. It hasn't gone down in value. It could even go up in value. That would be the ideal scenario. Um, the second major principle is income stability. They don't want to change these payouts so that you can rely on the steady, predictable cash flow. And the third thing that we look at is what we call the competitive environment. What are other companies doing and, uh, and making sure that those payouts are competitive? Now, when it comes to price sustainability, unit price sustainability, in other words, can we keep your capital to sustain that throughout the time period? We take a 20-year approach where we look at uh, 26 different economic scenarios to understand what could be the outcomes, worst case, best case scenarios over that cycle to make sure that that unit price can be sustained. And so um, uh, over, the, over the last decade or so that we've been using Series T, you know, Don and I, we've sort of, I've seen uh, where the income payouts have gone up slightly over time. And I've seen some years where we have a really bad market correction or something like that, where they've had to trim them back a little bit. So we always hold a little bit in reserve so that we can adjust those switches, like moving money between the series. And that's a non-taxable event, as I mentioned, and that allows you to maintain the regular cash flow. So Series T, what a great tool to create predictable long-term income stream for yourself that is so tax efficient. It's the secret sauce. It is. Anyway, and I, I have to admit, Andy, this is something we deal with our clients where they're non-registered funds for helping the retirement so often. The best part about Series T I like is that you're getting this tax-free income and it allows people to pull money out of their RSPs without in trying to keep them under that old age security clawback level. So you're yeah. still getting all this cash flow coming in from all your investments and you're still getting your old age security. 
and later I, on, later on, I'm going to be talking about handle how to handle that big tax bomb. I but, think everybody. I think everybody thinks it, but it sounds too good to be true. Something must be wrong. But uh, uh, yeah. no, it's, it's an actually uh, it's an excellent strategy. We've been employing it for a long time now, so it's worth discussing with your financial planner. Absolutely, and if and if you you know if you have a non-registered portfolio and you are not in Series T, um, you know there's a good reason you should probably have a second set of eyes looking at your overall plan. I agree. But uh, on a next topic, one year. Three classic mistakes. What happened? Like, it's now we're into March here, and, uh, you know, March 13th. And you know what? It's kind of interesting. What's so significant about February the 19th? Anybody know? February 19th. February 19th. When I remember. Uh, that was. Oh. What were you going to say, Scott? Uh, that's when I remembered Valentine's Day that I had missed. <laughs> While you're in the doghouse. <laughs> yeah. Could, Why am I here? Flowers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but February 19th, everything. You, you think back a year from now. What, a, what an insane year we've just gone through. And if you were sta- you know, looking at your statement, February the 19th, that was, as Andy mm-hmm. mentioned, the absolute market high until the pandemic hit. And everything was great at that time. And, and we didn't know. It's kind of like... You know, you're you're at the on the Titanic, you're 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 having a nice dance to the band, and not knowing you're about to be hitting an ice cube, I sorry, an ice cube, an iceberg, in the very near future. And in this case, you didn't sink to the bottom, but you did drop 34 percent in the next 33 days. Insane. But what it really did, it, it showed us that it was a very instructive year. It showed us really what not to do, okay? And it came to the three classic behavioral mistakes, and these are really the unforced errors that damage a person's long-term financial plan. And I truly, if I had to repeat myself here, people make these errors time and time again. We're human beings. We're not wired to make money. Honestly, we have this innate discipline to do the wrong thing. And this showed it again. So if you look back on February the 19th, 2020, the S&P 500, and again, for, you know, excuse me for using the U.S. stock market, but they are 60% of the world's value of stocks, and Canada represents 3%. So if we are going to look at the, the bigger picture worldwide, the S&P 500, it was at 33.86 on February 19th, 2020. You know, interesting enough, that would have been the absolute worst day to invest money. Like if you had to say, I'm going to pick the worst day in the next year to put money in, you would have picked that day because that was the market high. You know what? How much return, if you put your money in the S&P 500, Andy, if I had to guess, or Scott, if you had to guess how much your return would be one year later, a one-year performance, investing at the worst time just before a pandemic, what do you think your return would be? Well, I've got inside information, so uh, I know I know it was positive. Uh, well, you're absolutely right. Uh, Scott, any guesses? Uh, I know it was positive, but I think I have some inside information. <laughs> okay, well, not to leave you guys hanging here, 15.59%. Woo-hoo. Investing on the worst day. 
before the mar- the before the pandemic. So we were right. It was positive. Yes, oh. you're absolutely right. Way to it go, Andy. Positive. Way to go, Andy. And the market went from thirty three eighty six. That was the S and P five hundred to thirty nine fourteen, which is a fifteen point five nine percent increase. Now, you had to go for quite some ride, though. If you bought, if you bought it, then you watched it go from thirty three eighty six all the way down to twenty two thirty seven, a drop of thirty four percent. So if you invested $100,000, 33 days later, you were down to $66,000. Like, that is gut-wrenching when you watch your life savings drop by that amount of money. And this is the problem. We start looking, when, when the markets, and I know Andy and I have said this before, when the markets drop, they drop by dollars. <laughs> when the markets go up, they go up by percent. And it's so true. Every so, oh, how'd you do last year? Well, you know, pretty good. I did 8% last year. Oh, okay. The market goes down. Oh, how'd you do last year? Oh, I lost $80,000. Well, it still could have been 8%. But we, all, we, we have this affinity for feeling a negative return far more than we're feeling of a positive return. So, interesting enough, had you invested on, on the March the 23rd, your return would have been, 75%. Now, n- nobody's that good. But for some of my clients, we, we were, I know Andy and I were talking, this is a buying opportunity. We, you go back to our old shows. I can guarantee you, we said, we don't know where the bottom is, but it's down 20% or 25%, whatever the amount was. It's definitely cheaper to buy now. And, and anybody who did, did extremely well. Now, if you happen to pick the right day, March 23rd, you did 75% in the U.S. stock market, okay? And things have changed, obviously, a lot since then. Now you started seeing vaccines start to open up the world now. And feel, people are starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. In fact, six months less one day, the stock market fully recovered, and the S&P 500 was right back to 33.86, okay? So what did we learn? We got to see, we had this opportunity to watch people make the three classic mistakes. And those are the three P's. P is in Peter. The number one P is panic. Nothing like a good health crisis that would nothing like, you know, similar to, I guess, to the 1918 Spanish flu. The government shut down everything. We were in an instant recession. And what do investors do? They were selling in rows. They were just selling and selling. You've got to remember, when, every, when somebody's selling... Somebody has to be buying. You can't sell to nobody. So at the other end of that spectrum, somebody's buying those shares. But when there's a lot more sellers than buyers, that forces the price down. And that's what was going on in the month of basically end of February, early March. So panic set in, and so there was a lot of people that were selling out at that time. And the, you know, the phrase back then was, well, let's just put it on the sidelines and we'll wait for a better time to buy. And we'll get in maybe later when it's, things have settled down. I've got to tell you, when the things settled down, the market was already recovered. In fact, people still don't feel good about it. I mean, there's still a ton of money sitting on the sidelines. And those people that sold, they are still waiting for it to go. They're actually waiting for it to go back down because they missed the uptick. They have it sitting on the sidelines, and now they're feeling that feeling of regret. And it's really hurt them. Number two 
is uh, politics. The, number, the, the second P is politics. Well, I know we're Canadian here, but boy, I don't know about you, but how could you not hear about the U.S. politics? Okay. There is politics on every... In fact, uh, probably Trudeau, Trudeau's best friend might have been the fact of all the U.S. politics going on because it te- took everything to the U.S. Distraction. And we didn't even know what was going on in our own country. And then, uh, so the U.S., so then people were saying, well, I want to wait till after the U.S. election because there was so much bipartisan, it even, as we know, when got violent on January the 6th. And there was predictions by uh, Trump, for, for sure, was predicting the stock market was going to take a, a massive tumble, and he was predicting the demise of the stock market if the Democrats got in. Well, thankfully, uh, the market doesn't really care about the politics. And it looks at the value of companies. And you have to remember, when you are buying a stock, you are buying a stock that is trying to increase its value. Coca-Cola or Pepsi, uh, to use soft drinks, or Apple or Microsoft, they're always looking, trying to increase their value. So they don't really care which politician's in. They're trying to say, how do we maximize our business for the long haul? So that was the second, second P. And finally, the third P was performance chasing. And really, it was kind of interesting. Last year, only a handful of stocks were doing great. And it turned out those were a lot of tech stocks, the stay-at-home stocks. So what this did is people that looked at the market, that, that left them rationalizing why they were out of the market. If they had sold, they're saying, well, you know what, it's only the tech area doing, doing great. I'm going to stay out of the market. And they watched the market continue to rise. So that was their rationalization for staying out of the market. And... Funny enough, they would be down, if they sold at the bottom, they'd be down 34%. It would take, if they put that money in a 2% account, and by the way, there's no such thing as a 2% account right now. Nothing's paying 2%. It would take 21 years to recover that mistake. 21 years at 2% a year to recover that 34% mistake. So then other people, what they did, they're getting a little FOMO, and they started buying in, and they wanted to get into those hot stocks. So they wanted to go into that growth sector in the S&P 500. And again, the Teslas, the Amazons, the Peloton, DocuSign, there's, a, there's a, a bunch of these tech stocks that were doing amazing. I can tell you one thing. In the past 36 years as a, in professional investing, I personally can find no better way to assure a substandard performance than buying the hottest stocks of the last six months. Never fails. If you want to have a, a worse performance, buy what did well last year and did great last year, <laughs> and that will make sure you don't do well next year. So how do we avoid these three Ps? You need to have a goal-focused, long-term plan. We always talk, Andy and I talk every week about this, having a long-term, goal-focused plan. Invest in a plan, invest in a plan-driven, well-diversified equity portfolio, Okay. So when you're investing into a very diversified portfolio, by the way, diversification, I, I know I've said this before, you'll never make a killing, but you'll never get killed. Hmm. Uh, and so when you have a, you're investing and you have this site that it is plan-driven, you're going to have the peace of mind that you're going to do well, you're going to accomplish your goals, you won't have the fear that you have to keep working longer to retire, and you also won't have the fear that you're going to run out of retire run out of money at retirement. And really, at the end of the day, 
those are the two biggest objects, uh, objectives that Annie and I always look after. And you, you both often said, by the time you realize something is hot, it's not. The, the opportunity's yeah. gone. <laughs> Absolutely. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about uh, risks in retirement. I thought it was all free and easy in retirement. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sleeping well, yeah, you know, no issues at all. Don right? says that Don says that my honey do list will be done like in three months, and then I'll have nothing to do. <laughs> it should be a short list. We've had a year to get it done. Yeah, really. Just wait, I'm going to throw some stress into your little retired dream there. Go for it. <laughs> no, I think you know when when we think about the the phases of our financial life, the the first phase, of course, that um, the majority we spend is in the accumulation phase. In the accumulation phase, as you build up your assets heading towards your retirement age, uh, it, it, during the accumulation phase, you know, time works for you, and volatility has very little impact. And then you hit retirement age. And now you're into the second phase of your financial life, which we call the distribution phase or the decumulation phase. And in this period, time works against you, and certainly volatility can work against you as well. And the main retirement risks that uh, Don and I review in someone's retirement plan is, is inflation risk, uh, market risk, longevity risk, and health care risk. And so when you think about, I just want to focus a little bit on market risk because we've been, we've been talking about that today. And, um, you know, with market risk, it, it, one of the biggest concerns is, is having poor performance early on in your retirement phase. And as you want to take income and spend more and travel more during that early phase of your retirement, uh, poor performance can really have an impact on that. And most of us, the problem is that when Don and I see other plans out there, is that most plans are sort of in living in the world of averages. And what I mean by that is that you'll see a projection, let's say at a $100,000 nest egg, and it's going to average, in quotations, 5% rate of return. So therefore, you're going to take $600 a month. And if you did that, and you just looked at uh, um, that over time, it would basically last from age 65 to age 89. Pretty straight line, no issues at all. So you're thinking, that's not bad. I make it almost to 90, and I still have money left over. But the reality is, when you think about, when we've talked about this before, the sequence of returns, uh, you really never get 5% each year, right? You get, you get different returns each year. Sometimes you get, uh, just had an example, you know, you might get 5% one year. The next year, let's say it goes down, it's minus 15, and then followed by a bounce back plus 25. You still average 5% over those three years, but it's a much different story than it is this sort of straight line assumption. And so if we throw that sequence of return into, into play, the reality is, is that you could run out as early as 83. 
And if we reverse it, so in other words, you start off with 5%, then you get 25%, and then minus 15 in your third year, you still end up with 5% rate of return overall, but, and that would last to 87. But in both cases, neither of them last till 89. And that's because of volatility. And as you redeem money from your investments, it is critical to have a great plan in place. So how do you protect that nest egg? Don kind of alluded to it in the last section, but I'm just going to run through them, and it's worth repeating. Number one strategy, have a plan and stick to it. And number two is having that proper diversification. Don said you won't, get, you won't make a killing, but you won't get killed. Strategy number three, invest for the long term. And I was looking at a, a, a chart recently, a growth of $10,000 from 1956 to, to 2020, and the average in the Toronto stock market was just under 9%, 8.9% since 1956. But during that time period, there was 25 periods, 25 different times, where the market dropped by over 10%, and that's considered a correction. The longest one lasted a little over a year back in 2000. It lasted 13 months. Sorry, uh, 2014. Uh, September 2014 lasted 16 months. The second longest was September and uh, the biggest drop was in 2008, the financial crisis, where it dropped 43%. And finally, I think the step four and five, determine what your retirement income withdrawal strategy is going to be. We talked a little bit about that, T-series, et cetera, some different options there. And strategy number five is take professional advice. And this is where I sort of get stumped because I think, I think listeners or people think that it's too costly or, it's, you know, there's, you know, I don't have enough money. And I just want to make a shout out to people listening. Getting a second opinion, it costs you nothing. And you will be shocked to find out that it actually, you actually may be able to save money by working with a financial planner, Don or myself. Get that second opinion. Find out what your options are. And don't be worried that it's going to be too costly or that you don't have enough money. And, and that cost is interesting. First of all, get that second opinion from a CFP. But secondly, that cost, the mistakes people make, on average, it works out to about 3 to 4% per year because of behavioral costs. So, yeah, that second opinion will definitely save you more money. That is planning your financial future. Andy Lister, Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. I'm Scott Thompson. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll get back to you as soon as they can. We're going uh, to be talking about handling the tax bomb uh, after death, but we were speaking off, off air about the value of advice and what it can cost you. You want to touch on that? Yeah, just quickly, you know, the sort of wrapping up the whole point of where emotion comes into play and how people make mistakes is that there was a, a, a chart I was looking at that was measuring the amount of money on a quarterly average that flows into checking, savings, and GICs. And the average quarterly is about $16 billion a quarter. But in the first quarter last year, it jumped to $43 billion and in the second quarter, it went up to $85 billion. So what was happening is that people were taking money that normally would have been invested for the long term or taking money out of long-term investments and shifting it into cash and GICs at the exact wrong time. 
So it does it just it just sort of nails it, brings it, wraps it up in a bow exactly why we mistakes are so costly. Yeah, and that that can really derail your whole retirement plan. So absolutely thanks, Andy, getting those numbers. But um the next is how to handle that tax bomb. And it truly can be a tax bomb. And we want to protect that from paying the highest tax rate. And again, in Ontario it's fifty three point five three percent for any income over two hundred and twenty thousand. So just to give you an idea, I know Andy was discussing about capital gains earlier. If you invested 200000 and it's into a non-registered account, and it grew to 400000 and it was investing in things that earned capital gains. So the book value was 200000 and the market value was 400000 at death. Basically, at death, everything is deemed to be sold. And that's the, gov- that's the taxation word for selling it all is called deemed. Okay? And basically... You have a capital gain of 200000 because you made $200,000 profit. As Andy mentioned, 50% is taxable. So now, on that 400000 in total, you end up paying $53,000, $53,530 in tax. Now, that sounds bad, but that's only that, – you wish you had all your money and things that had that because if it was RSPs, every dollar would be taxed at that. So if you had $400,000 in, in registered assets, so RSPs or RIFs, then you literally would have 53.5% of that would go to the government. So that would be $214,000 would go to the government. And this is the thing that we've talked about forever is trying to make sure people do a good job in using the tax brackets to their advantage. And if you're saving tax, say 10 years ago when you were 70 years old in an RSP at 20%, and then you died at 80 and you paid 53%, I can tell you, you didn't win that game. The government won that one. And so it's so important to make sure you do the right things and have a very tax-planned situation so that you can create an income during retirement to avoid that 53.53%. And it's not death taxes, that is income tax. But it just seems strange. You're working away all your life in your highest income in your whole life. You're not even around to enjoy it. <laughs> you died, and that's your highest income. And it's this one. It's just the way it is. So first of all, risks are taxed at, and RSPs are taxed at the highest bracket. Now, the best investment you can have would be a tax-free savings account. And this is why, and again, we've always called them tax-free investment accounts because they can be invested in anything. But if you and your spouse had 100000 each, the nice thing is it can be rolled right over to the other spouse. And then it goes to the kids tax-free. It even avoids probate if, you, if they're direct beneficiaries. But um, you do need to, have it, uh, you need to have it done properly and make sure that the beneficiary on the TFSA is, is, your, is your spouse. And I'll get to that in just a second here. But first of all, the nice thing about if you are married, all your non-registered investments, they get to go to the joint owner to a spousal rollover. So you don't have to pay that tax on the first go-around. On TFSAs, they are in RIFs. Same thing. They get to go to your spouse without a tax event. Now, the tax-free savings account, one important part of this is you do not want your spouse to be the beneficiary. You want to have your spouse as a successor holder because the difference is, and actually I don't even know why they even allow to have a spouse as a beneficiary because in the time where the one person dies and the spouse gets the money into his or her TFSA, that, all the growth is taxable. But if you're the successor holder, 
all the growth continues on to the, to the uh, re- uh, surviving spouse. It's, it's literally they take over the TFSA. So, so important to try to get your income while you're alive to about 80000 a year. This allows uh, you to have a very good income, and that's $80,000 per spouse, and you get your full old age security because none of it's clawed back. And by doing this, you, you're, you're avoiding the tax, man. And if all this is done properly and you still are paying 53.53% at death, i got to say congratulations. You've grown a lot of money and bombs away. <laughs> <laughs> we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will get back to you. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Great week. We'll chat next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.